All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Empire. You have Renee and Merrick, the two co-founders of Cello, joining us. Uh, really excited to have this episode. Merrick and Renee, welcome to the show, guys. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, it's really great to be here. Yeah, I think the first place I want to start, I've been following Cello since like the very early days and have never had you two on the show. Um, and I think you two have been a little quieter in the like, what I'd call the the crypto native crypto Twitter sphere, but maybe bigger in some of the the real real world uh, uh, ecosystems, uh, maybe outside of the, the Twitter sphere. So maybe I'll pick on Renee to just give like a quick overview on the last couple of years in Cello at like a very high level for maybe crypto Twitter sphere people who are listening who maybe don't know Cello, and then we can get into some of the fun stuff you guys are working on if that works for you. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is a good prompt to just even like go back in time to when we first started thinking about, um, you know, Cello. And we we recently look back at the old white paper and we're actually like, wow, we're actually, you know, this is like, this exists now, this has been built and some of the stuff the core team built, some of the stuff people in the community built. But it's interesting because what really got us into the space was, I think, a realization that uh, Ethereum smart contracts, just generally Web3 would potentially bring a huge change in how people are able to access the digital economy. And um, I think for us, it was exciting to play a, play a role in that. And, you know, our f- the first thing we did is build a, build a wallet on Ethereum and put it in front of real people, you know, people that weren't like deep in the space, you know, and, and try to get an understanding of what would be required to make, uh, you know, this stuff work for everyday people. And this is, you know, going back five, almost six years ago at this point, and there was a big gap. And I think the gap to some extent still exists, right? But it's also it's it's been closing, and I, I think Salo has played a pretty pretty big role in in helping close the gap. And you now have people really all over the world that are using products built on Salo, often not realizing that you know it's powered by you know an open permissionless public blockchain under the hood, but bringing them real value in their day to day lives. And and so, in in many ways, this was um, and has been our focus of all these years. And uh, as much as I think, personally speaking, I have Merrick chime in, I'd, I'd love to chime in on a lot of the, you know, Twitter arguments uh, that are that are happening. You know, there's 24 hours in the day and, you know, we we like to spend uh, those time, you know, with, with product, on product, with founders in the ecosystem and moving the pack forward. And um, I, I do think that has led to Settle being a little less known than some of its peers. But I think that's also really changing this year as there's a the shift and focus on, hey, how is this stuff actually work in like how is this used in the wild? Does Web3, you know, it's kind of the moment, right? Does Web3 have like a reason to exist? And um, I think this has led to a lot of people starting to look at Cello now and maybe sometimes taking a second look and saying, oh, wait a second, like, wow, you guys are actually delivering against not just Cello's initial promise, but I think why a lot of people got into the space. Um, yeah, uh, I actually want to go pre-Cello for a second. I was doing a little uh, LinkedIn stalking and saw that <laughs> you were both, both at MIT and then it looks like co-founded a company together, got bought by GoDaddy and then uh, spent, looks like maybe three or four years at GoDaddy. Did Cello come out of some of the problems that you guys saw inside of GoDaddy with like how that world worked or two totally unrelated things? Yeah, maybe I can take that. I would say it's unrelated. Um but, but you're right, uh, Randy and I met um, at, at MIT. Actually, we met um, 
a funny story. We met in a class taught by Tim Berners-Lee about the original Web3. Uh, so back then, 2010 uh, timeframe, Tim Berners-Lee was um, working on, on the semantic web and linked data. And for a while, people were ca calling that you know, the, the third version of the web. Um, and so actually our first company, Loku, it was <clears throat> primarily a machine learning company um, in the data space. And, um, and it, it had those origins in, in Web3, which is pretty, pretty funny. Hmm. Wait, what, what were, what was Web, what, what, what was the third web? I don't, I don't know that story. So, um, there's this effort, uh, to create open databases, uh, using, um, what's called the semantic web or, or linked data. It's the idea that you have, um, documents that represent data that are linking to each other much the way that documents on the web link to each other. Um, and so this is the idea behind the semantic web, uh, and the W3, uh, the web three W3C foundation and Tim Berners-Lee have been working on standardizing this now for a while. Uh, and for a while, people were ca calling that the, the third version of the web. So this idea that, that uh, we could do to data what um, you uh, what Tim Berners-Lee did for documents, uh, namely made them, make them open, make them accessible to everyone. You know, fast forward to today, it turns out that, um, yeah, having open data is really valuable. Uh, <laughs> And uh, and the semantic web was one way to achieve that, but another way to do that is you know permissionless public ledgers. Uh, and yeah. clearly, um, you know, I think there's been just a, a wealth of activity around around this way of representing data uh, in a fully open and transparent manner. Yeah, I will maybe you just to add super quickly to add to this. I think there are some parallels here, right? And um, in, in many ways, for me, what kind of drew me to sort of the original Web3 or the semantic web are some of the things that I think drew us into, into Web3 now, right? Which is sort of really giving power to the individual, to, you know, sort of a, a community of people versus centralizing power. And this is, you know, back in 2009, 2010, right? Even then people were talking about, hey, what is happening with sort of big sort of Web2 kind of conglomerates, you know, like the power there amassing over the users, right? And so in many ways, some of the discussions back then were a precursor of what I think people are discussing now as, as they look at what Web3 architecture can enable. Mm. I want to tie this into the kind of L L1 wars, I guess I'd call them, and that happened in 2020 and 2021. And maybe I'd just zoom out and talk about like the L1 ecosystems in general. So when you guys launched Celo, my memories. You launched sometime mid 2017, if I remember that correctly, or late 2017. So sometime in 2017, you can correct me if I'm wrong there. But uh, what happened is you had all these kind of other L1s that like took advantage of, I'd call it like the ICO boom. A lot of those didn't actually work out, but you did have these other L1s like the Solanas and the Avalanches and kind of the Nears and Phantoms that did really well in the kind of 2020 days. And uh, some of those are still doing well and others aren't. I'd be curious to hear now. I think all the talk of the town are these like our L2s, like Optimism and Arbitrum, or have kind of taken the narrative. I'd be curious to uh, get your take on like where you all sit in the ecosystem and like what is the value prop of Celo relative to all these other things that are getting built right now. Yeah, maybe I, I start high level. And Eric, feel free to jump in on some of the. I think there's 
this is also maybe a good opportunity to start talking a little bit about uh, the Cello roadmap and Cello 2.0, which we recently announced. But I think at a high level, we were from the beginning very driven by what does it take to achieve a certain use case, right? And for us, that started really from the end user experience and then going all the way down the stack to recognize certain areas where at the time Ethereum was falling short. And I think even today, you will be hard pressed to find an infrastructure that can accommodate a micropayments use case and easy cash in, cash out, right? Without the need for multiple tokens um, in a, you know, in a, in a local community somewhere. And, and for us, you know, I think really zooming in on that use case at the center of what has become a much richer ecosystem and, and you know, set of use cases, um, I think has really led to a, a differentiation. So I think a lot of the stuff that you see on Celo that you see working and growing is very different than the things that have worked on some of these other chains you mentioned, where there's, I think, a lot more similarities in terms of how people are engaging with those and what some of the use cases are, which oftentimes are much more driven by, you know, whale DeFi activity, for example, right, versus peer-to-peer payments in a local market or um, or, or people kind of creating sort of these, these sort of really native new kind of uh, digital economies. So so to me, that um, in, in some ways has kept us out of those, you know, layer one wars because we've been just focused on, on those use cases. But I think increasingly we get pulled into that because people are saying, hey, wait a second, I can build all the things on Celo that I can build on on a Polygon, on an Avalanche, right? And so, uh, yeah, like, why should I not pick Celo? And, you know, the answer is, yeah, actually, there are good reasons to, to pick Celo. And in fact, we, we are increasingly, as we're also seeing more and more projects launch and, you know, kind of transaction volume increase and projects becoming more successful, right? I think that has led us to think about, okay, from a roadmap perspective, what are the things that are actually necessary to help those projects grow with and, and on Celo? And so rather than starting from like this, you know, hey, let's let's build kind of a thing that no one will really know how to use, but that may be useful 10 years from now and will sound really sexy. Let's just build something pragmatically that works, that achieves a lot of the things that we're looking to achieve um, and is future-proof in a, in a way that it can be extended over time. And um, the, the way Celo is set up is that through on-chain governance, Celo holders can vote on you know, changes to the protocol. There have been several hard forks. There have been tons of proposals right, to bring changes to Celo. So even since mainnet launch, which uh, by the way, yeah, was in 2020, so we're coming up on our three-year mainnet anniversary on Earth Day um, this year. Um, there's, there's, you know, there's been a lot of change to the to the core protocol. Um, but yeah, I let I let Merrick um, chime in on some of the more of the specifics. But that's kind of how I would think about high level. Mm. Yeah, and I think you know, first and foremost, we were um, um, big believers of the you know Ethereum ecosystem. Um, we we started uh, our journey in the Ethereum ecosystem by by first building a wallet on on Ethereum. Um, and you know, actually, the the reason we ended up um, working on on seller the platform itself is. Um, because, uh, as Rene mentioned, we wanted to, to have some functionality that made it really easy for for non crypto native people to to use um, uh, wallets and uh, and kind of address their real world use case needs. Uh, and so that took us down the path of, of thinking, okay, well, we need uh, we need a consensus protocol that is you know secure and decentralized, but also that offers one block finality. 
uh, so that when you send the payment to someone, you don't have to worry about um, that payment being rolled back. Um, and you know, when you make that decision, you you end up creating uh, a proof of stake protocol that that is, um, in our case, it was new and novel uh, when we launched uh, almost three years ago. Excella was the first proof of stake, uh, like major proof of stake um, uh, EVM compatible chain, which was really exciting. Um, and um, and then we also added other features like the ability to pay for gas with tokens uh, natively in the platform, you know, without um, uh, third-party bundlers or um, or uh, meta transaction relayers, uh, which ended up being really nice. So that if I send you a, a stable coin, you can send that on to someone else without having without being stuck, uh, which I'm sure many of your listeners uh, may have personally even experienced. Um, and then we and then we added um, phone numbers as a way to as a hidden layer. It's an optional hidden layer. It's 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 something that uh, wallets can opt into, um, and it allows folks to send payments to, to phone numbers and to people in in in, in your contact list um, in a fully decentralized way. And and that I think um, is probably one of the biggest enablers for kind of P2P payments on Celo, um, and. Um, and we, we wanted it to be core uh, and a first class citizen in, in the platform so that it worked across different mm-hmm. wallets so that it was you know truly a standard. And so those are some of the decisions that took us down the path of you know, um, working on, on a new layer one. Um, I think critically, you know, I think we um, saw, I think, just how far ahead the, the EVM was compared to uh, every other um kind of idea at the time and we're glad that that we made the right bet um you know i think we've been uh really close to the ethereum ecosystem and and as Randy mentioned we have some pretty exciting plans up ahead with kind of solo 2.0 that bring us even closer uh one of which will be the ability to pay for gas with wet soon on solo uh which will be i think really really nice nice uh, can we, you talked about uh, phone numbers. Like when I think about Cello, one of the, and I like as a maybe kind of outsider looking in, one of the first things that come to, comes to mind is mobile first. And um, you, you guys have this light client that uses um, uh, CK Snarks, I think it is, to help users sync with the network with only a few kilobytes of data. Um, and then you also have these, like like you mentioned, Mary, you've uh, kind of securely mapped phone numbers to wallet addresses, mm-hmm. which is a really clear, like gives people the ability to, send crypto to obviously friends and family in your contact list before you even sign up for a for a wallet which is a which is a really nice feature what is the um like what's been the uh impact of building this like mobile first uh layer here yeah yeah no i jump in a little bit um and maybe just even give some stats you know i i saw this recently one of the amms um built on cello posted sort of the distribution of their usage and there was i think over 80 percent of people that were accessing it were doing so from mobile devices right and then likely signing transactions with mobile wallets like valora um and that's a fundamentally different user behavior right than your your typical uh user um you know kind of connecting on a desktop with MetaMask, right? Or, or some 
you know, other setup. And so that's that's really, I think, where to your original question, hey, why in this in this world of all these layer ones and layer twos now, why should people care about Celo? And is a fundamentally different audience that you're able to reach um, when you're building a DAP. Um, you have really a lot of the mobile tooling. Um, you have SDKs, right, to quickly build mobile mobile DAPs. Um, you have best-in-class mobile wallets. You have the ability to really streamline the user experience by paying, you know, by allowing people to pay, for example, in stable coins or soon with. And uh, you have on and off ramps, right, in a lot of markets where really regular people want to easily cash in from their mobile money account, right? And they don't want to jump through like four or five hoops or go through an exchange, right? But they just want to like fund their wallet and then use a dApp and go on with their life, right? Or, or cash out from a, a payment they got for doing some work on in an online marketplace. So I think that by, by focusing so specifically on on mobile and, and making sure that people that are building on Celo can have a really tight, great experience on mobile, um, I think that's led to a fundamentally different user base. And um, in a way, it's also, I think the reason you have a lot of uh, dApps, uh, you know, that have chosen to deploy on Celo, you know, they maybe they're starting Ethereum or um, another VM, but they're, they're looking to grow their audience and, and Celo is, is a really great way to do that. Yeah, and when we started, you know, nobody was talking about mobile, right? Like, I think everything was desktop-based. Everything was basically through, um, you know, MetaMask as a browser extension. Um, I don't think there were any real major mobile wallets uh, out at the time. Um, certainly, you know, there was no Solana phone being talked about. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I was going around talking about how, you know, we have this backwards, um, you know, Web3 should be leading Web2, Web2 moved to mobile like 10 years ago already, right? There's this famous book um, uh, called Just Mobile First. Uh, that's just an amazing read. Um, and um, I think it's by Luke uh, Rubelski, if I remember correctly. And, um, you know, Web2, that book took Web2 by... Um, uh, storm and Web two transitioned, but somehow Web three was you know behind in this like really really important way. And so um, part of the focus around mobile was you know to just to get that evolution right. But you know part of it was also uh, this belief that for the um, for the advantages that the crypto and Web three offer, uh, the people who who need those advantages the most are mobile devices. And so. Uh, we should be we should be building mobile, um, and that's what took us down the path of like coming up with a consensus protocol that uh, used um, uh, threshold cryptography and uh, BLS twelve three seven twelve dash three seven seven, which then enabled us to actually create um, uh, snark based uh, like clients, which you know no other protocol has. Um, certainly, no other EVM compatible protocol has. Uh, and, and that's amazing, right? Like clients are critically important for, for security and decentralization. And, uh, and we worked really, really hard to create something that, that, uh, allows you to sync with very, very little data. Yeah. What's been the, so what, I mean, one, one of the main reasons I want to have you guys on Empire is to, I think we're at the like heart of this bear market. And I think there are a lot of people maybe who aren't deeply embedded in, in crypto land saying like, what? You know, what do we all do in this for? Like, what are the use cases here? Can you guys talk about 
the actual real world use cases here and like what what you've seen as the impact of uh, some of these technical decisions that you've made? Totally. Yeah, I, I would say today um, a lot of what has been in sort of broader Web3, right? Where what's been what's 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 actually working is is in gaming, right? And then of you mentioned DeFi as an example, but we've we've really not seen um, sort of a lot of real world use cases, right? And so um, I think this is why it's interesting to take sort of a bit more of a deep dive into the Celo ecosystem and and look at projects that are are yeah solving real world problems and sometimes connecting. Um, really just using sort of the, you know, kind of the cello chain as sort of a settlement layer, right, for for what they're building. But but sometimes also smartly connecting those applications into the broader ecosystem digital economy, whether that's for liquidity, right, and connecting global capital markets to small-scale farmers in Mexico, which is something that, for example, Ethic Hub is doing with copy farmers, uh, allowing uh, folks to basically... Um, you know, do loans, right? Peer-to-peer loans to to small-scale farmers, which otherwise would have no access to to those loans and and, and capital capital generally, right? But there's there's an element here, of course, leveraging kind of a broader DeFi movement, but then tying it to kind of a real-world uh, use case. I think the other area, and this is something that Celo has really, um, you know, in a way, been getting known as the the home for refi, um, regenerative finance, and uh, to regenerate, I mean, maybe for those who are not familiar with the term regenerative finance, the way I would define it is really, um, you know, kind of derived from regenerative economics and decentralized finance, but sort of having a financial system that has positive externalities. So imagine you're you're participating in a financial system, but by doing so, you're not actually extracting more from the environment or from people, but you're actually having a positive impact. So, you know, by transacting more, that has a positive impact on the environment or on the community. And some examples for that, which are which are live on Salo and um, have been growing quite nicely. You know, it's things like, for example, having currencies backed by by natural assets, and um, by doing so, right, um, the more those currencies, local currencies, often community currencies, the more they're used. The more they lead to a preservation of those of those natural assets, and an example of that would be a project called Collectivo, which has developed a whole framework for that and has started rolling that out in a bunch of different places, starting in Curacao, where you have a community currency, the Curacao Gilder, that's uh, on chain and backed by natural assets, uh, starting with uh, food forests, local food forests, uh, coral reefs in the future and, and and other assets that you know as you imagine that economy growing and more of that currency circulating and being used more of those assets being being preserved so that's that's quite powerful um but you also see it by by really um by, by starting to bring you know um kind of con- connectivity in a sense beyond information but with value right to communities you start seeing people in uh, you know really all over the world suddenly be connected to this digital economy right you have artists creators that can create things and you know access a global audience you start seeing um people that I, one of my more recently kind of projects i've been spending some time with is plastics where um you know people are pretty familiar now with the concept of carbon offsets right and it's widely discussed and 
in fact, you know, they're, the big challenge with carbon offsets is, is greenwashing, right? And Web3 actually helps because it brings more liquidity to those markets and it brings more transparency. And so you actually, over time, you'll see a flight to high quality assets, right? Because an, a corporate who wants to offset uh, their carbon footprint, right? And, and purchase those credits and doing so on chain will bring a transparency, right? To the market, to those projects um, that will straight on address that kind of issue. Right? And there's other benefits too, but What's much less known is that this is really just the tip of the iceberg when you think about climate assets and taking positive climate action. So you now have, um, you know, a team called Plastics that has created sort of a similar concept for for offsetting the plastics footprint of an organization or um, a community, and basically providing a mechanism for people in the local community to, you know, collect, for example, plastics, bring them to recycling centers and get monetary value in the form of a token directly for that that can be used again in this digital economy, right? And all of these things are building blocks in this broader regenerative, you know, digital economy that people can now build with. You know, my hope is that this year people also will, will start more engaging with that and seeing a totally different side of, of Web3 and crypto. Merrick, before you before you jump in, I'm curious, Renee, where are, or or Merrick, you can take the answer to this, but where is this activity actually happening? I'm I'm assuming it's outside of the United States. Yeah, great question. Um, for a lot of P2P payments uh, activities, uh, certainly we're seeing a lot of that happening uh, outside the U.S. Uh, a lot in Latin, a lot in Africa, um, and. Um, you know, I think Rennie mentioned Collectivo. They're based in, in Curacao. Um, there's other protocols that are giving out UBIs, uh, Universal Basic Incomes uh, on Celo, uh, like Impact Market, Good Dollar. Uh, and these are also operating um, in primarily in emerging markets. Um, I think um, Impact Market is, is focused heavily on uh, favela communities in Brazil, um, communities throughout West Africa. Uh, and even places like Afghanistan after the U.S. withdrawal. Um, so real adversarial uh, environments where it's very difficult to get um, uh, any sort of payment uh, to someone in a cost-effective way. Uh, and they found that with um, with Celo, uh, with the ability to, to send value really cheaply uh, to anyone um, using the same rails in every country that they operate, you know, they're, they're I think, uh, about an order of magnitude more efficient than something like Give Directly, which um, you know outside of Web three has been kind of the leader for um, doing really really low overhead uh, and efficient um, cash transfers. Um, but what's really great about about Impact Market is you know they uh, they disperse those funds to to these beneficiaries. They've dispersed you know millions and millions of dollars now. Um, and, and then the money circulates in these communities. Um, people use um, uh, mobile wallets um, like like Valora, which um, you know I, I spend some of my time on, um, which is kind of the evolution of that wallet that we started on Ethereum. Uh, they use it like you know uh, people in the U.S. use Venmo, um, and and the money just circulates in, in these communities. Again, you can pay for gas with tokens on Sela, so you can can send stable coins and you can send it to people in your contact list uh, and uh, it just it just circulates um, there's another project that's that's been planting trees in in Kenya uh, called Sylvie 
um, they're um, incentivizing, it's a, it's a whole protocol incentivizing the planting of trees uh, around this one um, rainforest that's being deforested uh, over there. Um, and they have an interesting protocol which uh, incentivizes the, the planting of these trees. Uh, but what's really cool to see is once the trees are planted and once people verify that other people have you know done the work, you know naturally you need some game theoretic elements to to make sure that people are doing this well. Um, but the end result is this money lives in these communities in these farmer communities and and starts to circulate in these farmer communities, uh, uh, which you know is just incredible. I feel more like you're making. Go ahead, Rena. No, I just I, I think there's um, I think a lot of the examples we we've given and described are really you know oftentimes grassroots projects right that are starting in a community and that grow from that community then grow to other communities right so it's a it's a different timeline right than you know sort of oh you have your your big kind of NFT drop and it you know gets a bunch of people like to pay attention for a moment right but this is really sustainable. Um, engagement, right, that grows over time. And I think uh, to me, um, you know, and I guess when we started this, like we had a very long time horizon sort of that we kind of felt we would be working against just given some of the technical challenges. A lot of the stuff actually, you know, happened faster, but I will, I mean, you know, I'm very bullish that the the first chain to really, or ecosystem to really onboard and truly onboard, not just like a one-off, but really sustainably onboard a billion people to Web3 is Celo. And that's like, you know, probably truer now than it than it ever was, just given a lot of, you know, the amazing projects that are happening at a grassroots level. And then I think also supercharged with things like Deutsche Telekom, right, which has 250 million people in their, you know, global user base, right? That are also, you know, taking a deep look at Web3 now. They're already validating on Celo. They're running Oracles, right? And they're, um, they're actually like they have an exceptional team. I've been, now that I'm in uh, in Europe, I'm spending a lot more time with their team, and I'm just impressed by sort of the expertise that they have in house around Web3, right? Which is five six years ago, um, sort of, you know, for a corporate, you would not have uh, expected that, and so. All that makes me really bullish that um, we're, you know, of the next few years, we're going to get really close to actually, you know, bringing real people in, 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 in big numbers into this digital economy and, and giving them real world value every day. So that's that continues to be sort of the North Star um, and why we're here. But it's it's really encouraging to see that diversity also in approaches and, and projects that are contributing towards making that happen. Do, do you guys think that is Valora the is the Valora kind of the holy grail here in terms of like the uh, kind of the first like do you think that'll be the first real world use case that gets to I don't know whatever number big number that we want to call it ten million users hundred million users billion users is it Valora or are there there are other things on the horizon? Yeah, certainly lots of things on the horizon, um, but Valora, um, you know, I'm biased. I work there as well. Uh, um, you know, very very excited about it. Um, you know, I think it does a really good job of showcasing all of the early amazing features that, that Celo has to offer uh, and just creates just a really, really easy to use mobile wallet. Um, and, um, you know, and if you look at the home page uh, or the home screen uh, for the wallet, um, yes, you know, there's a whole DAP browser you can you can 
uh, sign transactions within dApps, and, and that's quite elegant. Uh, but you know the the two um, kind of primary actions on the home screen are, are send and receive, uh, and so it's really I would say kind of catered towards this kind of payments use case. Um, and again, that's what we're seeing in 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 emerging markets people people using the wallet for. Um, so yeah, I'm very very excited. You know, if you haven't tried Valora, highly recommend uh, checking it out. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know, Renny, are there any other exciting things coming down that we can talk about? Look, to me, I I see Valora and also some of the other wallets as like key fabric, right? And I think if the better Valora, the better the experience as you use uh, a lot of the other products. Um, Halo 5 was, used to be called Good Ghosting, uh, just, you know, rebranded and like as, as super popular right now, it's kind of, you know, kind of non-loss lottery kind of group savings. Um, and I, I think, you know, obviously some of the use cases we, we talked about, I think uh, to me, um, I actually, uh, maybe this is where America and I like, you know, I mean, I don't think it's a disagreement, but I actually think it's going to be a collection of, um, of different applications, right. And in, in different places, um, really kind of growing all, you know, finding product market fit or some of them have found product market fit in. They're growing week over week, months over month, you know, and so it's not like this this one big moment where suddenly it's like, wow, you know, this this thing. But it's 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 a lot more su- sustainable in that sense. Now you do have um, obviously some some bigger uh, organizations, part of the ecosystem. You know, I mentioned Dutch Telecom, T-Mobile, you know, Kickstarter, and now it's they're decentralizing doing that with Zello. So there is definitely you know when you have sort of, uh, you know, someone who brings a big existing audience um, and is able to successfully um, actually onboard them. Um, and, and often that, you know, requires to actually abstracting a lot of, you know, Web3 into the background, right? And just giving people a great user experience. Then I think that those can be all big drivers. But um, to me, the, the power of Salon really comes down to um, a lot of these building blocks just working really well together. And this is something that um, I also personally really, I mean, I enjoy working in this ecosystem where where people are just very collaborative, where people are very aligned towards the what's the north star, and and so you you do see a lot of collaborations, partnerships, um, you know, projects teaming up and you know doing doing interesting things together. Um, so to me, yeah, I think uh, it's it's probably the combination of a few things that just. Um, just are on sort of their path and are, are sort of growing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, certainly helps to have, have really strong wallets with, you know, we talked a little bit about the Fiat Connect standard and, you know, the Connect the World program of just making on and offboarding super seamless, which I think that's really what's been holding back um, Web3 adoption more broadly. You know, it's just too painful today. And we discovered that pretty early just by, trying this out and like realizing the pain ourselves, and and so that's been a big focus for for the foundation but also for Valora and for a lot of the kind of key ecosystem projects that are working on this and it's it's truly a joint effort of the ecosystem and when we crack that I think it will um, dramatically accelerate adoption because today that's the hurdle right someone gets to sort of the point where they're they want to bring money in right or take money out and it's you know takes time or comes at a at a prohibitive cost for small payments, right? I think we've solved it for bigger payments, but 
for small payments, that's uh, that's something that's really only now getting getting much better. And I think that's key differentiator for for sell on the sell ecosystem. Yeah. And this is something I feel really passionately about. So maybe I'll jump in real quick. But um, yeah. you know, if you think about it, right, like um, we've solved uh, the ability to send payments to anyone, right, in the world, right? Like I think not just um, with Valora and Solo, but I would say, you know, as a broader Web3 ecosystem, right? We have enough scalability. We have um, uh, enough functionality now. And, and certainly on Solo, we have the ease of use to, to send stable coins to anyone in the world to literally any phone number uh and and have them receive it uh like within like 2.5 seconds on average without the like and be able to then send it on to someone else without having to go and buy gas um so that's great but you know we, we haven't seen this explosion of uh of payments the way that for example you know when whatsapp uh kind of launched kind of took over the world where when they basically made sending a message to any phone number in the world uh, free and, and instantaneous. And, you know, I, we hypothesize that this is because the value is not immediately useful for everyone in the world, right? Unless you can cash out uh, instantly or until, you know, everything, all payments become Web3 based, which, you know, uh, I think uh, I would imagine a lot of your listeners think is, is going to happen and, and hopefully soon. You know, we're in this transition period until that happens where you need to be able to move back and forth between fiat and crypto really, really easily. Uh, and not just in one country, but in every country in the world. Um, and the only way we get there is if we have hundreds and hundreds of on and off ramps that all have their licenses and local banking relations uh, in each market to be able to offer that service. Um, and increasingly, we're seeing, you know, dozens and, and um, soon hundreds of these on and off ramps in all all kind of uh, markets around the world uh, launching. A lot of people are really excited about this business opportunity. But the one thing that's really holding back the whole ecosystem is um, the fact that everyone speaks a different language, right? Every on and off ramp has their own API, their own web widget, Um which is a pain to integrate for wallets um, and a pain to maintain. It's not feasible for wallets to have hundreds and hundreds of these inter bespoke integrations. Um, and so, you know, when this happens, a very standard solution is to create a standard. Uh, and so that's what Fiat Connect is. You can you can see, you can read more about it at fiatconnect.org. Um, but, you know, if you launch a standard, um, all it does typically is it becomes like an extra thing that people have to integrate. Uh, and so, uh, Renny mentioned Connect the World. That's what we launched. It's the foundation launched a, a $20 million incentive program to effectively incentivize the adoption of the standard. Uh, and that's been going well. There's, I think, 50 different, um, um, there's about 50 markets that, that are currently uh, in flight to launch soon. Um, uh, of which the first six launched just a few weeks ago. Um, I think we have Nigeria, Ghana, Kenya, uh, Uganda, India, and the Philippines are all live using a number of different providers integrated into Valora and soon into other wallets in the cellular ecosystem. Um, and critically, it's a native experience. You're, you're, um, the user doesn't even know that they're using a third party. Um, um, certainly, it, it's, it's mentioned in the app, but they don't have to go through a, a custom login screen in a web browser um, it just all feels very, very native to the wallet. 
Um, and yeah, this is, I think, the power of crypto, right? That we can have uh, incentive models that we can organize as a group to solve really big and ambitious problems. And I think solving on and off ramping globally is like extremely ambitious, extremely big. Uh, and luckily, crypto is just very amenable to doing that really, really well. Yeah. Um, how come you guys don't just, uh, what's the decision behind not just being a roll up on Ethereum? Like why? Um, I feel like that would remove the cost of like needing to bootstrap and maintain this validator network while being able to provide the capital and the users on Ethereum. What's the thought process behind not going down that that route? Yeah, great question. I think part of it is, you know, rollups were invented um, long after Celo uh, started. Uh, and so we've invested, you know, heavily in, in, in done that bootstrapping. We have a, a really great consensus protocol that, you know, has only really had one hiccup over the last three years uh, and otherwise has been, you know, just absolutely rock solid. Um, and um, the, the other thing I, I would say... Um, is you know some of our use cases require very low transaction fees um, and and one block finality and short block times. Um, you know when when people um, are, for example, dispersing UBIs or, or using P2P transaction, uh, just using it for P2P transactions in uh, in emerging markets. You know they can't really pay more than a tenth of a cent. Uh, for a transaction before it starts becoming not economical to to use a public blockchain, uh, and sadly with uh, rollups today, you, you can't um, say on Ethereum we can't achieve that cost, um, right? I think the reality is that until dank sharding is comes out on Ethereum, um, it, it just you you won't be able to um, to store your transactions on Ethereum at scale and and be able to deliver those those low costs um so we're we're big believers in rollups um i think we we agree that it is by far the most secure way of, of uh scaling a chain uh, horizontally i think um the uh, the kind of um you know the organic cosmos like model i think uh, has some appeal but from a security perspective i think uh, you know, you're definitely making trade-offs. Um, you ultimately end up having to trust uh, the validator sets of all the chains that are sending you messages. Uh, and so as a full node, you have to basically run all the chains, which doesn't really scale. Um, and, um, you know, the the sharded model that Ethereum 2 started with, I think has a very similar problem where full nodes have to run all the shards to be able to trust what's going on in any one chart. So from that perspective, rollups, you know, to be able to only have to trust that there exists one honest full node, uh, or in the case of ZK rollups, you know, you don't even have to trust that. I mean, that is extremely appealing, and, and we're really big believers of that strategy. Um, yeah, how it fits into kind of Solo's long-term uh, plan with regards to Ethereum, I think, is, is something that, you know, the community is talking about. But right now, there's not much to be decided on because the gas costs would just be prohibitive for all the use cases happening on Celo. Yeah. Awesome, guys. Well, I appreciate appreciate you guys uh, making the time here. Renee and Merrick, any, anything else that we missed that you guys really want to talk about? Look, I think we've covered a lot. Um, I would say for anyone who's listening, who's um, a builder, 
you know, and you haven't checked out Cello yet, definitely <laughs> give it a look, Cello.org. Um, you know, we're coming up on a quarter billion transactions, you know, processed mostly on the network. Um, I I track about a thousand, a little bit over a thousand projects, uh, active projects. Um, try to be in touch with, <laughs> with many of them. Over a hundred of those have raised venture funding. I think that's a little known, known fact as well. Um, Q3, Q4 of last year is over a hundred million in venture money going into projects built on top of Celo. So not like Celo itself, but into the ecosystem. So it's a, it's a very vibrant community. Um, lots of uh, investors all over the world as well. So there's a bunch of folks also running uh, ecosystem funds and um, projects are getting funded right now. I think real world use cases are really top of mind for a lot of people. Regenerative finance as a concept too, if folks are new to that and haven't heard, I uh, highly encourage um, to to take a closer look. I think it's really um, a big shift that we're seeing from like a year ago where no one really talked about it to now it's becoming much more about sort of something that every dev, uh, developer is thinking about, hey, what does it mean to build, you know, in a, in a regenerative way? And I think it's something that users also really appreciate and, and gravitate towards. So, um, yeah, um, I would just invite everyone to, you know, check Cello out, uh, come to one of our events, meetups. Um, we're a very friendly community. So uh, just come and say hi at like the next uh, event. Yeah, and we have community centers in, in San Francisco, in New York, in Berlin, in Buenos Aires. And so it's a great way to to meet people in person. So if you're in any of those locations or if you're traveling to any of those locations, uh, then definitely, definitely come knock on our door. Nice. Awesome, guys. Well, appreciate the time. And I will uh, talk to you guys soon. Thanks so much. It was fun. Bye. Yeah, thanks for having us.